You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, it's Thanksgiving week. Uh, we're not going to have podcast episodes on Thursday and Friday. Do you have any big Thanksgiving plans? Uh, just stuff my face with as much food as I can. Uh, hopefully get drunk a couple times. Uh, see the Fablemans. Uh, probably Strange World. Maybe some other stuff. But awesome. uh, yeah, just, just going to try and kick it, you know? That sounds ideal. I think... I'm going to see Glass Onion in theaters. I haven't had a chance to see that yet. And then I have tickets to see The Menu with my family on Thanksgiving. So I'm excited about that too. So. Nice. Yeah, I need to see that too. There's, there, I would like to ideally catch up on on a lot of movies. Um, but yeah, we'll see how much time I have. Excellent. All right. So what have you been doing recently? Uh, well, I have been spending a lot of my uh, time during the day here at SlashRoom.com uh, busting my ass on the 2022 SlashRoom Holiday Gift Guide. I've mentioned this before. I'm mentioning it again because if you don't read it, I will come to your house personally and slap you across the face <laughs> with a printed uh, out version of the article. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, these are these are big uh, beefy gift guides. Like I really dug in and like got as many things as I can. Uh, the first two installments are live now. 
The first one is for uh, movies on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, uh, Criterion Collection, Steelbooks, all that stuff. The second installment that went up today uh, is TV, uh, single seasons, box sets, some stuff that's on uh, Blu-ray for the first time. Uh, lots of cool stuff. Uh, um, physical media, big champions. And we've got uh, more installments coming throughout the week. Uh, I will I'll tease tomorrow is, is going to be about books uh, tied to movies and TV. We have some stuff coming for toys and collectibles and like clothing and housewares and soundtracks and artwork. Uh, those will all be coming in the next few days throughout the Thanksgiving holiday. So you can get your shopping list ready and see all the uh, the cool stuff that we have collected. Man, that's awesome. Okay, yeah, I'll put a link to the first two entries uh, in the show notes so people can check it out directly from there. Um, what have you been reading recently, Brad? Uh, so I read this. Uh, this is a quick read. It's, it's uh, more of a coffee table book than anything, but it's uh, Young Frankenstein, the story of the making of the film. And uh, it's obviously about Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein. And it's uh, a collection of uh, some new comments and like retrospective stuff from Mel Brooks. And then also a combination of like archived interviews from people who were at the studio at the time and producer and uh, Gene Wilder and just the various uh, cast members and, and writers and whatnot. Uh, and it's this, it, it kind of reads as an oral history in a way, but not, it's not all from new interviews and, and whatnot, obviously. And it's, uh, it's got all these great behind the scenes photos in it, uh, production stills, and uh, just a, a cool glimpse, like yeah, especially when it comes to seeing color photos from behind the scenes of Young Frankenstein, because you don't really see a lot of stuff from that movie in color since it was in black and white. Uh, but it talks about a lot of the decisions made and like Mel, Mel Brooks, you know, even, you know, reads funny in, in text. So it's, it's great to hear about this movie. And uh, yeah, if you're a Young Frankenstein fan, it's a, it's a pretty breezy read. I, I read it over the span of like uh, a couple hours, like one awesome. night. So yeah, it's, it's but it's a, it's a cool book, a great, great one to toss on your coffee table, have people flip through, especially if they're a Young Frankenstein fan. Okay, so let's get into what we've been watching. You and I actually watched two things, uh, I guess, independently of each other. We watched uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I think is in some theaters right now and coming to Netflix on December 9th, if I have my dates correct on that. Yes, that is correct. Um, so what did you think about uh, del Toro's Pinocchio? I, we should also say he co-directed this movie with Mark Gust Gustafson, who, who yeah. I'm guessing is probably just going to be completely forgotten in this whole thing because of the the branding of del Toro. And like del Toro has definitely like made himself sort of the face of getting this project made and he's want to make it for a long time. But I just wanted to give him uh, Mark Gust Gustafson some credit because he, he did co-direct this movie. So. Yeah, uh, this was uh, fantastic. I love this movie. And this is coming from me as somebody who kind of just doesn't give a shit about the story of Pinocchio anymore. Like we get it. We've seen it. Like it's a fucking puppet who lies and there's, a, you know, oh, oh, he's got a, got a dad in Geppetto and all these got to learn lessons. Uh, but in the hands of Guillermo del Toro, and with this incredible production design and uh, stop motion animation that uh, he's created with Mark Gustafson, this just uh, brings new life into it. It's almost like a like a Pan's Labyrinth version of Pinocchio, which is but it's like still very family friendly. Um, it's I wasn't expecting it to be uh, a musical. But this, uh, and but it's not like an, a musical where like it's in your face the entire time. There's there's some fun uh, ways that it plays with the musical and the the songs are pr pretty cute and catchy. Uh, but for me, man, it's the it's the animation and how the story is told that just really sold this for me. Uh, I, I I I loved this movie so much, even even more than I anticipated. Like I was expecting to like what Guillermo del Toro did with Pinocchio, uh, but I really did just adore this movie, and I feel like it. 
Uh, it's probably the the best telling of the Pinocchio tale that I have seen in uh, in any movie or TV form. Um, because I'm not even really that fond of the the, the Disney adaptation. Uh, I can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think I agree with the last thing you said, where this might be the best version of Pinocchio, but I also didn't really like it. <laughs> um, I think I also don't care about this story almost at all. Um, it's just not something that emotionally resonates with me. However, I will say there are several things about this movie that I really, really did like. So David Bradley, who um, if you Google David Bradley and like Google image search, you'll definitely recognize his face. He played, I think, Walter Frey in Game of Thrones. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's worked with De- uh, Del Toro a couple different times. He plays Geppetto in this. And I thought he was great. Like the the he actually made me care about Geppetto in a way that I never have in any other iteration of, of this story before, because yeah, for sure. he, he brings such a, like a, a th- this version of Geppetto is truly like a wrecked shell of a man. Like he, yeah. the loss of his son, uh, which is not a spoiler. That's like the, the basic setup of this story um, is, uh, is something that just completely hollows him out as a human being. And you feel that desperation. You feel that like, he's like a, a drunken, um, yeah, just like a, a shadow of a of a human being, and it's his voice work is really really effective, and uh, some of the most moving stuff in the movie, I think. So definitely props to to David Bradley for that, um, because I thought he was he was really excellent there. Uh, the kid who does the voice of Pinocchio, one of the most annoying voice performances I've ever heard. Oh, sad. <laughs> um, yeah, which really made it difficult for me to. Uh, enjoy, you know, engage with this. I I did enjoy playing the game of like, who is doing the voice work for these characters? Because I didn't know much about the cast going in. So I had had some fun with that, like guessing like, who whose voice is this? Is this? And then slowly coming to the realizations of like, oh, this it's this person, it's that person. Um, so you'll, you'll, you'll never guess who Kate Blanchett's voicing in the movie. I, I'll t- <laughs> actually, yeah, that that is a really shocking thing because... I guess I'll just I'll just say my experience, which maybe some people might have. I thought Kate Blanchett was voicing one person, and it yes. turns out she's doing a totally different thing. And then yep, when I saw who, who was voicing the character that I thought Kate Blanchett was voicing, I was like, oh, that makes sense too. So yeah, there's some there's some fun uh, voice casting stuff going on here. And yeah, I like the the um, the look of it for the most part. I think the the character designs are really spectacular, especially for the characters that you don't really see that much in the other versions of Pinocchio. There's this sort of like uh, death creature that sort of lives in this um, like nether region of time and space that Pinocchio ends up going to a couple times. That design of that character is unbelievable. The the stand-in for the blue fairy character, the design there is really cool too. That's where the sort of Pan's Labyrinth uh, of it all comes in with these characters having like eyes blinking over all over their bodies. Really, really cool look to this movie. But um, yeah, I just, I didn't... Uh, didn't care about Pinocchio as a character, so it made it real tough for me to like latch onto this thing and hang on all the way through. So uh, your mileage may vary, as it sounds like ours did on this one. But yeah, uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio is coming to Netflix on December 9th. Um, another Netflix movie we both watched is Hustle, the uh, Adam Sandler basketball movie. I assume that's the version of Hustle that you watched. Is there another movie called Hustle? I don't know. No, that's that's exactly what I watched. <laughs> uh, yeah, what did you think about this one? Oh, man, I, I, this is exactly the kind of sports movie that I love. Uh, I am not a sports fan in real life, as I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned on this podcast before. But, man, do I love me some some sports dramas and sports documentaries. And uh, this was just, just fantastic. You know, it's, it's always nice when you get a reminder that Adam Sandler is a good actor and he makes movies that you like and can make you care about uh, his characters. 
And the fact this movie feels kind of like a, a blue chips to me, which is a, a favorite basketball movie of mine from the 90s uh, with Nick Nolte and uh, like Shaquille O'Neal and, and Anthony Hardaway and, and uh, people like that. Uh, so the fact that this is I'm not as familiar with the real basketball players in this movie as I was during the, the height of 90s basketball popularity. <laughs> um, but I, I recognize some of the professional players that were that were in here. And I just I just really dug the story. You know, it's just a classic sports story. And this movie uh, this and like seeing some other movies recently, like Leave No Trace and stuff like that, reminded me of like what a good actor Ben Foster is, and he doesn't get nearly enough credit for being such such a good actor. Um, so yeah, I, I love this. What did you think? Uh, I thought this was fine. I enjoyed Ben. What are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I maybe my expectations were a little bit too high because people were like, "Oh yeah, this is one of the good Adam Sandlers. This is not you know where he's." jumping around on couches and being like, and whatever the hell he does. <laughs> uh, so I was like, okay, I, I typically am on board for the sort of more dramatic Sandler stuff. And this is definitely that, but like the rest of the movie just feels a little too formulaic for me to have really, um, you know, I never really pumped my fist or like got into it in the way that you get into something even as formulaic as like a Rocky or whatever, just because the this movie um the, the formula is so well trod at this stage that it just sort of you're sitting there on the couch going like okay this is when this happens the next it's going to be this and it's just very like by the numbers um but sandler did a really good job so if you're you know a, a big fan of his a completist or something absolutely i i think it's worth watching for that um I, <laughs> the ben foster thing absolutely did not work for me in this movie i thought he was just wildly miscast and like in a totally different movie than everybody else he's just so comically evil his character um I'm i don't think he's comically evil i think he's just an asshole and I, th- I think that there's definitely like real people like that that exist in sports too you know <laughs> yes um but i don't know the, the rest of this movie is so grounded that he just stands out like i think i think you're right i think there are you know sort of larger than life characters in in that uh, real milieu or whatever but like the the fact that he's the only one who is so um i don't know it's just completely over the top it's just every time he came on the screen it's just like my god ben foster what are you doing here uh but you know again your mileage may vary so that's hustle it's on netflix right now uh totally harmless like completely fine way to spend an evening but um not quite the you know i think people were hyping this up as like you know this is almost as good as uh What's the movie that he was just in? Um, Uncut Gems. No, I won't go. I won't go that far. Uncut yeah, Gems. Uncut Gems is on another level. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think if you if you have expectations that this movie is not on that same tier and it's maybe in between that and uh, you know some ridiculous six or whatever the the, the uh, typical Sandler experience is, then um, then yeah, I think you'll you'll probably have more fun with Hustle than I did. So okay, well let's see if you come for Cronenberg now. <laughs> Crimes <laughs> of the Future, David Cronenberg's new movie. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I genuinely thought it was like fine. I, I think it, it uh, this is a movie that stars Viggo Mortensen and Leah Sadu and uh, Kristen Stewart, and it's about uh, Leah Sadu and Viggo Mortensen play a um, a pair of uh, performance artists in the future who um, the performance art is like performing surgery on their on Mortensen's open body in front of a live audience. And she is a tattoo artist and she like goes into his body and tattoos these organs that he's able to grow um, and through some sort of miraculous uh, thing that's never fully, undersp- uh, you know, uh, fully explained in the movie. And then she removes these organs. Um, and this is a world where 
humanity has evolved to such a degree that pain doesn't really exist in the same way that we experience it now. So this movie has a lot of interesting things to say about the creative process and what how painful it can be to be a creative person in our real world and like having ideas extracted from you and feeling like they come from the depths of your soul inside your literal body and just being, you know, the, the um, experience of what it can be like to uh, put that on display for other people. All of the sort of metaphors and, and thematic stuff is, are really interesting to me, but the movie itself was, um, I don't know, kind of a low key movie. And I haven't seen a ton of Cronenberg movies. I've probably seen only four or five. Um, but this seems like the most sort of, um, I don't know, almost like a, it's weird to call this a chill movie because there's some there's some uh, imagery in here that's super disturbing. <laughs> like <laughs> this is not a chill movie, but it is a yeah kind of a low key, um, even keel movie experience. There's not a ton of peaks and valleys in there, and so I just kind of was always waiting for it to maybe like kick into another gear or something, and it just never quite did. So it's streaming on Hulu right now. It's Crimes of the Future it came out earlier this year. If you want to check it out? Go for it. I mean, I, you know, I think who. who I don't know. Did you did you see this movie earlier this year, Brad? No, I haven't seen this yet, and I I I'm actually somebody who hasn't really uh, dived much into Cronenberg's uh, filmography. So I do, I do want to see it, and I, I do want to uh, kind of fill that gap in my my cinematic uh, perspective. But, yeah, yeah, I have I have a lot of catching up to do. I've seen The Fly and History of Violence and Eastern Promises, and like. Yeah, maybe one or two others of his movies, but there are ton, like a tons of uh, really big sort of canonical Cronenberg movies that I've not seen yet. So, um, okay, Crimes of the Future, it's on Hulu. Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, so I have been watching some things that I'm going back to the doc to see. Oh, I, I, I watched uh, A Christmas Story Christmas, um, which is a sequel to A Christmas Story with a, a terrible title. Um, and uh, this one is okay, pretty much, just just fine. Um, it, it had a, an uphill battle uh, doing a sequel to a movie that is nearly 40 years old and is quite the revered uh, Christmas classic, you know, so much that it has a 24-hour marathon every year and it has for a long time now. Um, but you know, Peter Billingsley is at that age where he's able to do like a legacy sequel properly. Uh, and that's, that's what this is. And uh, unfortunately that's kind of why it doesn't work as well as the original Christmas story, because there's, uh, there's a certain mischievous charm that comes from the original Christmas story by, by following kids. And even though this one incorporates, uh, Ralphie having kids of his own, uh, they're not the primary focus of the story. It's still focused on Ralphie as an adult. And that's just not, uh, quite as charming, no matter how hard Peter Billingsley tries, and he's not bad in the movie. You know, he he does a good job of, of having a little bit of that uh, that boyish charm to him, and like being kind of playful. Uh, but it has a hard time balancing the emotional core because of the movie. And this isn't a spoiler; this is in the trailer. It's, it's the setup for the movie. Uh, the old man, his father, uh, the late Darren McGavin, has passed away, and so. Uh, his mom just wants him to try and make the family's Christmas, you know, as good as it can be in, in the wake of this disaster. And the emotional core, uh, and this is coming from somebody whose father actually did die uh, about almost two years ago now. It didn't hit me very hard, which I feel like uh, I'm maybe one of the easiest marks for a movie mm -hmm. to like pull at my heartstrings. And, you know, uh, not a not a, a tear was shed, um, <laughs> but it's 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 not bad. You know, it's uh, what I appreciate most about it is it still carries uh, this cynical charm that, uh, that the first movie has where it's about a dysfunctional Midwestern family uh, and how they deal with the holidays. It's it's the, the original Christmas story is great because it's this 
takedown of uh, Norman Rockwellian, you know, Christmas, the kind that you see on the cover of Saturday Evening Post of enjoying warm turkey dinner and sitting around a Christmas tree. Uh, but it gives you this really dysfunctional family uh, version of it, you know, with crass capitalism and arguing and all that stuff. And some of that is still here. There are some really funny, clever Midwestern tropes, stuff that feels like it was inspired by Gene Shepard's stories that the original Christmas story was based on. Uh, but it just lacks the the charm and staying power of of the the original, and it it has a very clumsy way of uh, having Easter eggs and the, having nostalgia for the original mm-hmm. to the to the point like for example, uh, there's a, several points in the movie where Ralphie goes up to the attic to like either get decorations or like work on this sci-fi novel that he's trying to finish, and uh, you see like the 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 lampshade from the original Christmas story from the broken leg lamp, or the he sees the the pink bunny suit in a box that's dusty. And when you see these things, uh, it doesn't just let you recognize them and be like, ah, I get it. It plays audio clips from the original Christmas story to like be like, hey, you, you, you know this, right? And it's like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm watching this movie. I don't need you to beat over my head with it. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's forgettable. It doesn't have the staying power of, of the original. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I'm sure that there are some families that will still uh, enjoy it. And that's it's on HBO Max right now. So. Brad, I got to say that uh, that Easter egg thing sounds like truly one of my worst nightmares. <laughs> like, you know, it's stopping the movie in its tracks and playing audio from the thing as if, you know, just the uh, the nudge and the ribs wasn't enough. Man, that's, yeah. uh, that's rough. Rough yeah. choice. Exactly. Okay. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, I watched Hearts War, which is a drama from 2002 starring Colin Farrell and Bruce Willis. Uh, so one of the things that I do uh, on my podcast that I co-host called Go Flix Yourself is uh, me and my co-host, uh, Ben, not you, uh, and Nate, we uh, assign each other movies each week. We have like a whole list of like the movies that we haven't seen and we all pick pick one for each other and like uh, swap it around each week as to who's picking whose movie. And so this one was was assigned to me and uh, this was one that I missed, you know, uh, during high school. This is when it came out. And I, I wasn't even really aware of what it's about. I assumed it was just your average uh, war drama. But this is a really interesting uh, premise because it kind of feels like uh, it's like a, like a classic movie from like the 40s or 50s because uh, it's set in World War II. It follows Colin Farrell, who's a soldier. Uh, he's also uh, a lawyer and he gets taken as a prisoner of war by the Nazis. And so it starts off as this war drama, turns into a prisoner of war drama, but then it takes this turn into being a legal drama because uh, somebody in the camp uh, is is murdered and the um, it's it's set up as they decide to have basically like a, a court case within the prisoner of war camp where the Nazis like serve as the jurors and Colin Farrell is tasked with defending the person who is accused of the murder. Uh, and so it deals with race stuff because the the murder thing um, involves two black officers who are pilots, but they're because they're black, they're treated very poorly because this is World War II in the 1940s and everybody was terribly racist. Uh, and so one of the, the pilots... Um, is uh, accused of the murder, and so he's, and that's who Colin Farrell has to uh, defend. Uh, this has um, a really uh, surprising ensemble cast. As- aside from Colin Farrell and Bruce Willis, um, Terrence Howard is in it. Sam Worthington has a small role. Cole Hauser, and uh, I-, I really enjoyed this. Um, it did- doesn't seem like it got like uh, a ton of you know favorable reviews back in the day, but I, f- I feel like it was uh, pretty good. It's um, it can be a little bit uh, heavy-handed, I guess, in in what like what it's trying to say, you know, about uh, honor and things like that. But uh, I think Bruce Willis is good in it. Colin Farrell is. This was kind of when he was just like rising up and becoming like a, a full-on name uh, as as an actor. So uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. 
Yeah, this is like the uh, the recruit and SWAT era. Yeah, yeah. Feral. Um, I'd never seen this movie and had no idea what it was about. You you explaining that and laying that out, it's just just completely news to me. I had no idea that there was like a court component of this. So yeah, um, this seems like a cool idea for people to like. If there's any other you know people who write for any publications out there, sneak this onto like a list of uh, you know interesting uh, courtroom dramas. It seems like a, one that you could. Um, slot in there that probably wouldn't be on every other list so yeah and if uh, you want to see it it's uh, on hbo max right now cool okay what else have you been watching uh right now i am in the middle of the first season of the sex lives of college girls uh i had this recommended to me by a number of people including my girlfriend uh and a close fr- uh actually my my friend nate who is on the podcast with me uh he told me i would like it because uh both of them compared it to never have i ever the the uh coming of age high school sex comedy series uh, on netflix mm-hmm. uh and and this, uh, this is a series that is also executive produced and uh, created by Mindy Kaling. Uh, and basically, the best way to describe it is like it's kind of as if, uh, as if the characters from Never Have I Ever went to college, essentially. There, there's some different uh, characters, obviously, but like it just has that same feel, that same comedic vibe. And like the characters uh, have a similar dy- dynamic with each other. Uh, and so it follows these uh, four girls in college. They're going to this uh, university called uh, Essex, very expensive school. Uh, one of them isn't necessarily super well off. Another one is kind of uh, an uptight, uh, um, rich, rich white girl. Another one is an Indian girl who's trying to break into comedy. Uh, and the other one is uh, a, a black athlete on the soccer team who is having uh, an affair with the coach. Um, but it is uh, it has the same kind of comedic style as Never Have I Ever. It's definitely a bit more raunchy and mature because we're talking about college, you know, girls and not high school girls. Uh, but it's but it's very funny. The characters are are, are all uh, really interesting and cool. And uh, funnily enough, I didn't know uh, this before I started watching it. Uh, but Timothy Chalamet's sister is uh, an actress, and she is in the show as well. Um, and uh, her name, as it's, I'm, I'm blanking it, so I'm looking it up. So if you want to. Re- get rid of this uh pauline chalamet uh that's chalamet's sister and she is one of the leads in this series yeah i really really loved this show uh i, I was shocked at how much i enjoyed it um the never have i ever vibes are are definitely there i think never have i ever had is like a little sweeter overall yes um, yeah but uh and, and like a little bit more wholesome maybe but um but yeah like you mentioned this is you know it sort of uh, turns the dial up a little bit because of the college thing um i i think this show you know, there's a little bit of uh, sort of throat clearing of introducing you to these characters, but for the most part, it just really drops you in and they are like off and running immediately almost. It, yeah. That's what it feels like of just getting into adventures and and it, it just feels like a show that's been on for years in a really unique way. I haven't really experienced another show that um, that sort of drops you into a world like this that that just like so um especially a comedy brad because you know this more than more than most like the first season of comedies often takes a little while for everybody to sort of find their groove and this yeah yeah. this show feels like it knew what its groove was immediately and everybody i mean people improve as the series goes along um as as they probably get to know each other a little bit better but it's it's not like oh you know episode three or four is where it really gets good it's it's good right off the bat so i I really like the show Uh, the second season is out and uh, or at least a couple episodes of it are uh on hbo max as well i have not caught up with that yet i'm trying to finish uh, reservation dogs right now i've got one episode left of, of season two of that and then i'm going to jump into uh sex lives of college girls season two so i'm excited to uh to see that i'm excited for you to catch up and join me so um yeah i'm glad you're enjoying this one 
Uh, let's see. What have what have you been eating, Brad? I guess that's the last segment that we need to talk. Oh, about Oh, it's still on me. Okay. Uh, so uh, I am uh, lucky enough to enjoy the return of Pitch Black Mountain Dew before everybody else. Uh, for those of you that may be unaware, Pitch Black Mountain Dew uh, is a flavor of Mountain Dew that was released uh, a long time ago. It was a, a grape Mountain Dew. Um, it came out in Halloween of two thousand four. And it was pretty popular, and it made a comeback uh, a few times since then. They did like a uh, kind of a more sour version called Pitch Black Two, but it's one of the flavors that uh, people who are you know drink Mountain Dew and like love trying the new flavors have always demanded that Mountain Dew bring back, uh, and they haven't, but they are now. Uh, it comes out in January 2023, and every now and then, because of um, my my Brad's Junk page over on Instagram at Look at Brad's Junk, if you want to check it out, um, I get packages sent from Mountain Dew whenever they have like a new flavor or they're doing a special promotional thing. So I got uh, a bottle of the regular Pitch Black, the new Zero Sugar Pitch Black, and the Pitch Black uh, Dew Energy Drink. And so I uh, I tried the Zero Sugar one first because I've been trying to cut uh, the very sugary sodas out of my uh, diet just to be a little bit healthier. Uh, and I found that actually a lot of zero sugar sodas are, I've actually gotten a lot better, uh, since they, uh, first started coming out and, uh, it was, it was very good. I, I love the original pitch black when it came out. Um, it's, you know, it's got a, a, a grape flavor, you know, mixed with Mountain Dew essentially. And, uh, it's, it's really good. So I, uh, I enjoy it and you guys can enjoy it too when it comes out, uh, in January next year. Awesome. What else have you been eating? Uh, so I tried uh, a new fast food offering over at Wendy's. Uh, they have a new Italian mozzarella chicken sandwich, which is uh, it's your average, uh, you know, what you would expect from Italian chicken sandwich where they put mozzarella cheese on it, uh, a bit of the uh, tomato sauce. Uh, but this one is fun, too, because in addition to the regular slice of mozzarella cheese, they also put uh, a uh, essentially a fried patty of mozzarella cheese on the sandwich. Um, this was not quite as good as I hoped. Uh, I, I've had uh, other sandwiches with like a, a fried cheese patty component to it, and I was expecting it to be crispier and for the cheese to be a little bit more uh, flavorful and also some somewhat gooey. And uh, it, I don't know if they just maybe didn't you know cook it right or, or whatever it was. It, it is fast food, you know, so it's it's you know it is what it is. But Wendy's I feel like usually is kind of better in that department. But th- this one was just okay. If I were to choose. Uh, the the better of the uh, Italian chicken sandwiches out there, I think Burger King probably has the the best one available <laughs> right now. Uh, but the garlic fries that they have that go along with the sandwich at Wendy's were very good. They have this like buttery garlic sauce that they put on uh, the fries, and uh, those those were pretty spectacular. Um, drinking some other stuff too. Yeah, uh, getting liquored up for the holidays. <laughs> um, Journeyman Distillery uh, is a, a nearby uh, whiskey distillery, and they have uh, I don't know if this is new or if I just haven't tried it before, but it's uh, it's called American Holiday Bourbon Cream. Uh, and if you haven't had bur- bourbon cream before, it's basically like a creamy uh, liquor or liqueur drink, and uh, it's delicious. Uh, it tastes, um, you know, basically like a uh, an alcoholic eggnog would, and I absolutely loved it. And I will definitely be using it to make some uh, mixed holiday drinks or just drinking it straight out of a glass with ice in it because that's how good it is. Uh, and then on a similar wavelength, the Screwball, the makers of the peanut butter whiskey, have a uh, their own eggnog, uh, alcoholic eggnog as well. And it, they use their um, peanut butter whiskey in making it. This one, I didn't think that the peanut butter whiskey flavor mixed all that well with the eggnog. It was almost a little too uh, sweet, I guess you could say. Um, maybe, maybe even a little too thick as well. I think maybe if you like 
uh, watered it down by maybe add, adding, you know, maybe some, another kind of whiskey to it, or even just like some regular milk that might, might make it good. Like, I'm going to try and experiment with it and see if there's something that like cuts it a little bit. Uh, but mm. it was, it was just okay because no, I, I love the screwball peanut butter whiskey. Surprisingly enough, if you haven't had it, it might sound gross to you, but I actually think it's really good, especially if you put it in something like uh, hot chocolate or something like that. But it honestly is good just like sipping on as well. It's the, the, the flavor is actually surprisingly great. Uh, so if you haven't tried screw, screwball whiskey in general, I would recommend that. Uh, and the eggnog itself is just fine. Okay. All right. Uh, going out on a, on a strong note. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to put links to the first two parts of the Slash Film Holiday Gift Guide in the show notes so people can check that out. And yeah, you can probably find more about a lot of the stuff that we've mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. I know we've written about Crimes of the Future, and I think we've written about Hustle and Pinocchio, and uh, I think we've probably written about A Christmas Story Christmas as well. So um, seek all of that stuff out at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, except for this week, because we're not doing Thursday and Friday, uh, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper t- uh, dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify. Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you all soon. I think, we're, we're by the way, if you're still listening to this, we're going to have an episode tomorrow. We're going to have an uh, and or finale episode. But yeah, no episodes Thursday and Friday. So I will talk to you all on Monday or Tuesday, maybe, if Peter does the Monday episode. Wow, this is going real great, Brad. I'm just going to keep all this in. Fun! Hi, everyone. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.